TED Audio Collective. I've mentioned this on TED Business before, but after I graduated from college, I started a set of nurseries and literacy centers for kids in Accra, Ghana. I initially traveled to Ghana to visit my family, and when I was there, I realized that more could be done to educationally support kids under five. So I made it my mission to do something about this. I knew I was just one person, an outsider at that, and there were many people already doing this type of work. So I applied to foundations for funding, and I also partnered with the people on the ground, local NGOs working to give children access to pre-K education. This kind of small-scale change isn't something I could have done alone. In order for projects like these to be successful and sustainable, you need good partners. I'm Madhupa Akinola. This is TED Business. Our speaker today is Carlos Rodriguez Pastor. He's a businessman and philanthropist who has tackled some of the most seemingly insurmountable issues like education, healthcare, and infrastructure in his home country of Peru. In this conversation with our TED Business curator, Corey Hajim, he tells us how he bridged the gap between private industry and public partnerships. Then after the talk, I'll discuss some approaches to forming meaningful partnerships in order to make social change. But first, a quick break. This show is brought to you by Schwab. You're here because you like to keep a pulse on trends in technology. Well, now you can invest in what's trending in artificial intelligence, big data, robotic revolution, and more with Schwab Investing Themes. It's an easy way to invest in ideas you believe in. Schwab's research process uncovers emerging trends. Then their technology curates relevant stocks into themes. Choose from over 40 themes. Buy all the stocks in a theme as is or customize to better fit your investing goals. All in a few clicks. Schwab Investing Themes is not intended to be investment advice or a recommendation of any stock or investment strategy. Learn more at schwab.com slash thematic investing. Hey, TED Business listeners. We're supported by our friends at Working Smarter, a new podcast from Dropbox exploring the exciting potential of AI in the workplace. Working Smarter talks with founders, researchers, and engineers about the things they're building and the problems they're solving with the help of the latest AI tools. Tools that can save them time, improve collaboration, and create more space for the work that matters most. On Working Smarter, hear practical discussions about what AI can do so that you can work smarter too. Listen to Working Smarter on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Or visit workingsmarter.ai. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Add a little curiosity into your routine with TED Talks Daily, the podcast that brings you a new TED Talk every weekday. In less than 15 minutes a day, you'll go beyond the headlines and learn about the big ideas shaping your future. Coming up, how AI will change the way we communicate, how to be a better leader, and more. Listen to TED Talks Daily wherever you get your podcasts. So let's start with education. What was the problem you saw there? So let me just put it in context and tell you a little bit about Peru. Peru is a middle-income country. It's right in the middle of South America on the Pacific coast. And from 1990 to 2010, or actually 2017, we grew our economy at close to 5%. So it was one of the fastest-growing economies in the world, and certainly the fastest in South America. So we were feeling pretty good about all the things that were going on in Peru, and it seemed like there was a possibility that eventually, 25 years from now, we could become a developed country. But there are a lot of hurdles along the way that we have to overcome in order to get there. And some of them include the basic things that happen in most developing countries, like education, healthcare, infrastructure. Now, during the same time, um, I remember in about 2007, they did an assessment of all the public uh, school teachers. And the results were not very encouraging. A very small percentage uh, passed basic math, basic reading comprehension. And in the year 2000, we uh, were ranked last in the PISA rankings, which are these rankings for 15-year-old kids in, in, in various countries. And 12 years later, we were also dead last. Uh, so despite all this growth we had a real issue to improve our education system. And uh, so we decided to, to get involved to understand what was going on because uh, it was obvious that we could not become a developed country with having world-class education and healthcare. And um, you said that the public schools were in rough shapes. And you were saying it's not just the way it looks, it was what was going on inside. Yeah, so this is a typical public school we saw when we started our, our research, it kind of looks dark outside. But what's worse, it's what's going on inside. Uh, kids aren't learning. Uh, low attendance, low engagement, and, and poor quality. And as a result of these public schools, a lot of small, informal, private schools started popping up all over the country. And they were just as bad as some of the public schools. And so we went to one of these schools. And I remember going with a couple of colleagues and uh, asking a lot of questions to the person who gave us the tour. She didn't believe that we were parents with kids looking to go into those schools, but um, she was getting suspicious and asked us to please leave because she was the director and also the owner. And before she left, we asked her one final question. Before we left, we asked her one final question, and that is, why did you decide to do a private school? And uh, her answer surprised us. She said, because it's more profitable than a Chinese food restaurant. Now, sadly, this is a level of commitment in a lot of these private schools. So we decided it's time to do something about this. Not quite the right motivation. Um, education is so complicated. So when you started this journey, what were your goals? Well, I didn't know anything about education except from being a student and a consumer of it for, for many years. So the, the first thing I did, and this is a true story, I watched every TED Talk on education. Um, and, I promise it's not a plant. No. And then uh, started reaching out to the different people I thought were interesting and were doing um, wonderful things there. And then I, I grew up partly in California. I worked on Wall Street, so I started um, looking at uh, my contact list. 
And I remember an innovation company that, that um, when I grew up in, in, in California, that was always you know, behind a lot of the product innovation. So I called them up, IDO. And with them, along with uh, Sal Khan, who we, int- we were introduced with, and some academics from Berkeley and from, from Harvard, we put together a, a system to really try to change education in our country. So in Peru, we have 8 million K-12 through kids. And our target was about 1.6 million of those kids over time, which we call the emerging middle class. And what we co-designed was a system that had four characteristics. The first one, it had to be affordable. And by affordable, I mean $150 a month for the regular students and for our scholarship students, $1 a day. Second, it had to have academic excellence. These are schools that had to move the needle. Otherwise, it doesn't really make sense. And uh, they're well-designed, they're modern, they were safe. Third, we wanted a project that was scalable. Not just to build one or two schools, but why not aspire to build hundreds of schools and perhaps cross borders and go to other countries? And fourth, we thought it was very important that the schools be sustainable. And sustainable is kind of our code word for profitable. Yeah, so profitability. Let's talk a little bit about that. Why is that so important? Because we talked about the woman in the Chinese restaurant that she didn't seem properly motivated. So why for you is profitability so important? I think it's very important because that way we can keep building more schools and we can go across borders and, 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 and keep this project going. Um, you know, it's very ambitious. Uh, it's very ambitious for the teachers. Um, uh, so I imagine someday in, in some neighboring country, you know, a mom and dad having a conversation about where they're send, where they, uh, to send their kids to school. And maybe one of the parents says, hey, what about that school where the Peruvians are teaching? So imagine that, going from last in education in the world to being the teachers of our region. Uh, that would do so much to the self-esteem of our country, Peru. All right, so that goes back to what you were saying about sustainability. Profitability for you equals sustainability. Um, So there must be some trade-offs that you're making to make these schools reach profitability. What are some of those trade-offs? Sure, when you you start kind of with a fixed, you know, price that you can charge, you can't do everything. So sometimes our students have to share tablets. We don't have swimming pools. Uh, but we have very nice spaces where kids can learn, they can collaborate. Um, We use a blended learning model, which is solo learning and classroom learning. Um, So let's shift gears a little towards healthcare. What what did you want to do there, and what have you done in that space? So healthcare was as broken as the education system. Maybe the slight difference is in education, you have to have a real sense of urgency, otherwise you miss the entire generation. And in healthcare, we are fairly lucky that we still have a young population. So perhaps we have a little more time to, to go through this. But, you know, our healthcare system um, is a universal healthcare. Uh, Eight million informal uh, workers um, have that for the government. And then four million pay a tax of the formal uh, economy. That's slightly better. There's a lot of informal, just like the, the private schools and and they'll offer two-for-one medical procedures. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, not... Bring not a very, friend. Exactly. It's not, yeah, yeah. not, not you know, um, not good quality. Um, so, again, we teamed up with IDO, 
and a lot of different institutions um, to design something for the emerging middle class. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, first, the, the first call in Peru is pharmacies. Um, so if you're sick, you go to the pharmacy first because they, you, you waste a whole day and you really can't afford to, to leave work for a day. Um, so right around the time we started Inova, we got involved in, 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 in buying a small chain of pharmacies that today has 2,300 um, locations throughout the entire country, including the most remote areas you can imagine in the Amazon where you have to go in canoes and, and ships to get there. And as, and as an extension of that, we, we also developed a clinic called Aviva, where we give good quality, uh, about 40 to 60 beds in each one of our clinics. Um, and uh, we're focusing on the most important part uh, of life, which is birth. So now we have an alternative to give good health care to the emerging middle class. Now, another thing you've dipped your toe into in pretty big way is infrastructure, and that's a whole different kind of project. And you did it through a public-private partnership. Can you talk a little bit about how that came about and how it worked? So years ago, I remember going to Arequipa, which is the second largest city in Peru, with my father and my grandfather. And in that visit, hearing about a bridge that was going to be built. Years later, I went back, and I heard about the bridge again. And it turns out that this bridge has been on the planning board for over 50 years. And it never got done. No, it was because this party was in power. That Whatever the reason, it just didn't get done. So a few years ago, the government came up with a very clever plan. It's called Projects for Taxes. And what that does is it allows companies to use up to 30% of the taxes they pay instead of paying it to the central government, to use it for projects that the community needs. They have to be peer approved for the, by the government, but then you, you, you kind of do it yourself. So we teamed up with the largest beer company in Peru and one of the large mining companies, and together um, we put $100 million of the taxes we would have paid to the central government, and we built this bridge, um, which uh, connects you know, one side of the city to the other. It was done on time, done on budget, no corruption, no drama. The bridge is still standing. Um, and uh, now, you know, thousands of people every single day use this bridge and as a result, improve the quality of their life. This is a very good example of how private-public partnerships can work. And what we've done in our group is we've set a goal to have an iconic project in every one of the 25 states uh, across Peru. Uh, so far, we've completed five in five different states, so we have uh, 20 to go, but we're excited about that. I, I, when I read about that, I thought that was such an interesting project and an interesting partnership. Um, so a lot of the businesses you've started and your projects are focused on the middle class. So why are you so focused on that particular segment of the population? So the middle class for the last couple of decades has been the fastest growing segment of the country. It was in a way low-hanging fruit. A lot of services were unmet, and so we, we tried to develop answers for those. And it was also a, a way to scale fast because a lot of the emerging middle class is in urban settings. So you can actually go to zero, from zero to relevance relatively fast. It, 
what we're working on now is what we call the next frontier, which is rural Peru, which is a, still a big part of the population. And all the cities in our country that have 20,000 or less people. But really, the reason we got involved in areas like education and healthcare is that, you know, the government wasn't delivering. If you're familiar with Peru, you know what's been going on. We've had six presidents in six years. Now, the last president before the current one had so many cabinet changes that on average, every five days, we have a new cabinet minister. So ask yourself, if you're running an organization, you can't get even through the weekend. Maybe Monday he's here, Friday they're gone. And so it's very, very hard to, to get things accomplished from the government side. So what should we do? Should we wait for that Batman president to show up? Or should we get involved? And I have to admit that for many years, I would attend conferences and would do what a lot of people do, the golf clap, and then go back to your work and say, yeah, I'd like to help, but, you know, and then the next year, another golf clap, and kind of the same thing. Um, but we really believe that the private sector has a very important role. It's 80% of the economy in our country. And we can really push the leaders along to take on the most difficult, the most challenging problems in the country. Because education takes 20, 25 years or more to solve. Uh, a political term, maybe only four or five years. Um, so I think uh, we have a more staying power. And, and we don't pretend to run the whole education system or to educate the 8 million kids that, that go to schools. But if we do our job correctly, maybe we can put it up at the top of the agenda. Maybe we can show how it can be done. We can continue to partner with the government and together, uh, as a result, make a better country. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the things you've done, you've stepped in where government has fallen short. Do you feel like you're letting them off the hook, though? Or do you feel that they're responding to this? I would say it's the opposite. Mm -hmm. We're putting pressure to get these things resolved. And I believe that, uh, and, you know, by showing what can be done, and, you know, perhaps we can inspire them to work together, not just with us, but with all the other fine companies that we have in our country that that do world-class things. Um, um, but we can't just fold our hands and wait and, and hope that, you know, the Savior someday comes and helps us. And uh, I, I think that's what's behind all these projects. We want a better life. We want opportunity. We want the ability to reach our, our dreams and go as far as we can go. So I have some suggestions. The, the first one is... Find out what are the most difficult challenges in your community, in your country, and try to understand them. Get involved. Put a sense of urgency. Raise your hand. Not someday. Make someday today. Second is seek out help. Most likely, the problem's been solved somewhere else. And you can add to that and continue to, to, to build. And... Uh, now, the last thing is have a mindset where you're trying to make the pie bigger. And even if you come from the private sector, I guarantee you, if you focus on making the pie bigger for your country, you'll do well yourself. Our objective is to make Peru the best place to raise a family in Latin America.
Our long-term objective is to push Peru to become a developed country. And that's really hard. And then it comes to execution. And this is where we lose a lot of that impetus, a lot of that, let's get it done, uh, because it's hard. And uh, what we found out is that when you have a big challenge, many times you'll say, yes, but. And that but follows lots and lots of excuses, right? In Peru, in Spanish, it's si, pero. Pero is the but, P-E-R-O. So we decided to make it a little easier. And why not change that O to the U and wake up every morning and say si, pero. Well, I think you can see why I admire this guy. <laughs> um, thank you so much, Carlos, for all that you've shared with us. And I think we all have a lot of work to do. So thank you. Thank you, Corey. Support for TED Business comes from Odoo. What's Odoo? Well, Odoo is an all-in-one management software with apps for every business need. Odoo has apps for CRM, accounting, sales, HR, inventory, manufacturing, and everything in between. And they're all in one easy-to-use software. And the best part about Odoo? All Odoo apps are integrated, helping you get things done faster and more efficiently. So when you think about business, think Odoo. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash tedbusiness. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash TED Business. Support for the show comes from Brooks Running. I'm so excited because I have been a runner, gosh, my entire adult life. And for as long as I can remember, I have run with Brooks running shoes. Now I'm running with a pair of Ghost 16s from Brooks. Incredibly lightweight shoes that have really soft cushioning, it feels just right when I'm hitting my running trail that's just out behind my house. You now can take your daily run in the better than ever Go 16. You can visit brooksrunning.com to learn more. What really hits home for me in this conversation is Carlos's emphasis on partnership. I mean, Carlos partnered with government, IDEO, and beer companies. This is all a reminder that we can't make sustainable change on our own. And I loved the three areas he discussed in ending the talk, particularly the encouragement to think about what the most difficult challenges are and to get involved with urgency. How does this connect and resonate with you? What's the most difficult challenge within your organization that you think you could make so much better? Whose help should you seek? What partnerships can you engage with to change things? Maybe it's HR or the colleagues you spend the most time with. Maybe it's senior leadership. And how can you have a win-win mindset about solving the problem? Carlos is encouraging us not to think about change as who wins and who loses, but rather as an instance in which everyone benefits. That's it for today. TED Business is part of the TED Audio Collective, and this episode was produced by Hannah Kingsley Ma, edited by Alejandra Salazar, 
and fact-checked by Hana Matsudaira. Special thanks to Maria Lajas, Farah DeGrange, Corey Hajim, Daniela Balarezo, and Michelle Quint. I'm Madupa Aginola. Talk to you again next week.